Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. If you listened to Tuesday's episode this week, you will know that today's episode is going to be just as good. Today, I spoke to Andrew Austin, Senior Manager of Fraud Technology for CarMax. He did join me for Tuesday's episode, and then because we didn't get to everything that we hoped to talk about in that first episode, he graciously offered to come back a second time for today's episode. So really grateful for that, especially since he's still fairly new on the merchant side. I still think there's so much to learn from everyone, whether you're on the merchant side now or you're on the banking side like he was or in AML. There's just a lot that we can learn from each other. And on today's episode, Andrew's going to share some of his recent experiences with solution providers since he's moved to the e-commerce or merchant side, the buyer side of fraud technology. I do have more than a few episodes similarly on this topic, but it's one that I actually get asked to talk about quite a bit. And not just from solution providers wanting to know what they're doing wrong. A lot of times it's from merchants wanting solution providers to know what they're doing wrong. There's like this weird disconnect. And partially it's because it's very difficult, if not very overwhelming, and can sometimes be very challenging to provide direct feedback to salespeople if they've made a mistake or if you're not interested in their product. I know that some people have tried, but sometimes then that's abused as an additional opportunity for to make a sale and it just falls flat. So because of my unique perspective on this industry and unique position in this industry, I try to bridge those communication gaps as much as I can. And I especially love it when merchants are able to talk a little bit about it so that we can provide some firsthand experience as well. And I'm sure that Andrew heard me talking about solution providers on the merchant side because that's really what I know. But I know it's very similar on the fintech and banking side as well, especially in the last six to eight years with vendor, uh, sorry, with venture capital funds, uh, funding vendors, which that is a great thing. It gives us great innovation and technology, but it can also create more need to create sales right away. Uh, It's just an interesting time in our industry. So then after talking a little bit about his own experiences with this side of being in charge of fraud technology for a major brand, it also led us both to talk about some of the key do's and don'ts that we suggest for people who are selling fraud technology, as well as merchants or banks or fintechs or marketplaces, those of you who are buying. And he also shared, and I was grateful that he did, what I think is actually the perfect analogy about different kinds of buyers within fraud technology for the last episode before MRC Vegas 2023, which we know is the biggest conference, especially in the U.S. every year, e-commerce and marketplace and some consumer focused fintech uh, fraud fighters and payment acceptance as well. So with that, I'm going to let you listen in on my second conversation with Andrew. I very much appreciate his time and do hope that if you're attending MRC next week, you 
either stop by his session on Wednesday at 2.45 or you make a point to reach out to him or get together with him before and share with him what you've appreciated about these episodes. I always appreciate fraud fighters sharing a bit of their time with me and then in turn with the industry. And with that, I can't help. I can't wait to see a lot of you next week. Welcome back to Fraudology. I have no doubt that you really enjoyed Tuesday's episode where I got to talk with Andrew Austin, Senior Manager of Fraud Technology at CarMax about his career trajectory and a little bit around the types of fraud issues, both identity fraud and payment fraud issues that the auto industry is experiencing right now. And I just had to ask him to come back for Thursday's episode because we have had several conversations pre-recording about just some of the interesting things he's been experiencing now that he's on the merchant side, aka the buyer side of fraud technology. His time at a payment processor definitely assisted in the sales process from a vendor perspective. It was, you know, on product and technology. But now I can always say that merchants sometimes feel like a piece of meat or like they've got a target on their back, but it's another thing to experience it. So, Andrew, thank you for coming back today and wrapping up this conversation, talking about some of your recent experiences. Yeah, thanks for having me back, Reese. I really had fun with the last one, and I think we'll have a good time with this one as well. I have no doubt about that. You know, like we mentioned before, haven't known each other that long, maybe just a few months, but definitely have a lot of fun talking about a lot of different issues. And it's always fun to meet someone who also enjoys talking about strategy and fraud at a deep level. And then also just bullshitting around sometimes too. It's a good mix. <laughs> exactly. Got to make some time for that, for sure. Right. Yeah. Sometimes it's, oh, I didn't make enough time for that. But that's the story of my life. Just diving right in here. I mean... Now, one of the things when you came in and obviously when you have experience from the product side and technology, and especially it's in your title, senior manager of fraud technology. I mean, unless you're one of the big five online companies, you're not building your own. Or if you are, you're building pieces of it internally with engineering, but you're looking to third party providers to augment that process. But I've definitely noticed over the last five to eight years since VC funding realized, oh, there's this part of uh, financial fraud over here that looks really good. We're going to start investing in new companies. And in some ways, it's great, right? Because it means we get new technology. We also see a life cycle uh, sometimes of, you know, a startup has great technology when they first enter and then they're acquired and then they don't invest anymore. And then that often causes people to have to go back to the market. And there's there's a lot of frustration there. But I think that like on the vendor side, it feels like they think that merchants or buyers are looking all the time and buying all the time and all that. But I know for you, you are in that. So I guess if you could just talk a little bit about how you've approached that piece of looking at third-party vendor solutions and obviously assessing what you have in place now and then looking for things, you know, how how are you approaching that process? Yeah, I, th I think we talked about on the previous episode how I wanted to assess what we have now and yeah. see what are our opportunities, identify those opportunities, question the assumptions, and then assess how we can address them through process, procedure, education, technology. And you, you mentioned, you know, merchants are not always looking or buying. Some of us are, maybe. Some of us mm -hmm. are always looking. I like to look around and understand what's in the market and really coming into a new industry and I have to get acquainted with what technology providers are providing 
providing specifically to the auto industry, specifically around identity, around payment fraud in this industry. So I have been doing some looking. I've talked to a fair amount of vendors over the past couple of months. And I would say the one thing that's helped me the most when I was in banking, I was still on the buyer side, but mm. I wasn't the decision maker, right? So I could look mm. at it and say, well, this works strictly from a technology perspective. When I was in product for a processor, it, it gave me a different perspective. And I got to pitch, I do some pre-sales, not the full sales cycle, but just to present out, this is our solution and understand the problem and see if our solution would work for those merchants. And now being on the buying side, it's, and being one of the decision makers, I have to ensure that that, yes, this works from a technology perspective, it works from a process perspective, and yes, it's fulfilling my business requirement. Having that product slash pre-sales experience for my previous role has really helped me cut through some of the uh, salesmanship that happens in these presentations and try to get really at the heart of what that provides. Will it actually meet our business need? One of the things that I have tried to really focus on before meeting with any of these providers is upfront. Sometimes you... Back in the day, before pre-COVID, you'd have three vendors that would come on site and they would come on for a whole day and pitch mm. you their whole entire solution suite. Since then, I, it's more, you've got 30 minutes, you've got 45 minutes, you have max an hour and a half with me before I'm moving on. So it's tough for them, especially with some of these multifaceted solutions that have a lot of different angles, and a lot of different things that they're solving for to really portray the business value that they're adding or what the problem is that they are solving for you. And I recognize that because I'd be thrown into something all the time. It's like pitch this product that does 20 things in 15 minutes. Well, you, you just can't. Right. right. So you have to like trim your deck down and try to quickly find out what their problem is and address those things. So what I always do leading up to when we start the conversations out after everyone goes through their hi, I'm, I am from so and so like, <laughs> that's great. You could just email me beforehand. But <laughs> you know, what I always do is take five, 10 minutes and say, this is the business problem I am trying to solve. I want to do X, Y, Z. Sometimes it's A, B, C, D, E, F, G. <laughs> but, you know. I want to do these three, five, seven things, and this is how I'm looking to do it. Ideally, I would have a vendor come back to me and say, all right, we can address one, three, four, and seven, but not these other things. Mm. And if you have to have all seven of those things, we can do this, and this is how we would augment, or this is how we would solve your problem without those things. It's very rare. I think you just talked about it in one of the episodes recently, the silver bullet. We talk about this all the time. No one fraud solution for everyone. Mm -hmm. There's no one solution that's going to solve all your problems. You can solve a bot problem with a payment fraud solution, but is it the best way? Maybe not. Some people do, right? So if that's what you have, it it's what you on have the complexity. and you work with what you have. Exactly. A payment fraud solution is intended to stop payment fraud. So when you're retrofitting something to solve a different problem, it's not always the most effective, efficient, or it might be more costly than yeah. going after it a different way. Yeah, right? you might lose and, more. Oh, I, the best example of retrofitting a product for a different problem or a newer problem that I've seen recently is refund fraud, refund claim fraud, which I definitely need to do at least an episode on soon because I feel like I talk about it all the time, but then I realize, oh, not necessarily on the podcast, but... <laughs> There's a lot of payment fraud companies that genuinely have been trying to solve that problem. But the problem, the issue with that is the point of compromise is not at the time of the transaction yeah. being placed. It's just not. It's at the time of the refund being requested. But because they're trying to refund, you know, they're trying to be everything to everyone. You know, they don't want to lose. And I think there's this whole idea 
oh my gosh, we could go down such a rabbit hole. But I do think that there's this whole idea or goal by a lot of solution providers, whether they're a card brand or a large provider, and it's through you know merchants and acquisitions, or it's through products innovation on their end, who are trying to be a one-stop shop. And yeah, you can have a product for that, but does it mean that you're the best product for that? Or that, you know, from the merchant's perspective, well, does that mean that you're the right one for that problem? Because this is a several million dollar problem and maybe you can stop 60% of it, but someone over here can stop 80 or 90% of it. I don't know. It would be nice if solution providers could be honest with themselves about where they are in that line and go, okay, we're not going to invest in this because we're not the best at it. We're going to keep investing in this one thing we're good at. But that's, you know, I have a lot of go to market strategy conversations with companies (laughs) behind the scenes that I'll save all that for then. But it's a good point. Yeah. And the tough part as a buyer is you, let's say you have 10 companies coming to you that all do the same thing. (laughs) And we all work on a consortium model and we all do the Right. They know that for me to stand up a proof of concept is going to take engineering effort. Yes. And can I run 10 of those in parallel? Probably not. So I'm not going to put 10 API calls on a login and see how they come back. And then to just have the people behind the scenes to look at that and analyze and say which one's better. And you can only run it for so long. And some of yeah. these things are, you need to run it for months before you can yeah, understand if it's a trend or if mm-hmm. it's just a blip. You know, we, I look at some of our fraud reporting. We were just talking about this today earlier internally. And I'm like, well, that's not really a trend. That's just, it went up 400%. Well, it was at zero before, so expensive. It right. doesn't take a whole lot of fraud for something to shoot up a massive amount. On the same vein, like if you could have a blip and one one of your providers sees it and one doesn't. So it's really tough. And I think the providers know that. So they can really just tell you whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And you have yeah. to assess their honesty. And I think the, one, of the, one of the great things that has been helpful to me is building out my network and talking to other people that use that service. That's really what, and that's why I'm, I'm happy that MRC is coming up here very yeah. soon. Yeah. So I can do that. I talked to, I won't go into names, obviously, but I talked to so many different providers recently. And there was one company that kept popping up. Repeatedly. You mean a merchant company that they all kept A merchant claiming, company yes. that they all kept claiming that they work with. And I thought, it, can't all be working. You all provide the same service or a very similar service. You cannot all be actively working with other merchants. Yeah, I will say, actually didn't mean to interject there because I could have cut you off at the punchline. So I apologize for that. But I have a whole, that's actually been something I've wanted to talk about. I kind of mentioned it on last Thursday's episode a little bit in advance of MRC, but I've been noticing a lot of companies claiming that they work with a merchant that they, I know that they don't, or that they work with the smallest piece of their portfolio, like a company yep. that they bought five years ago. And I go to the company and say, Hey, I didn't know you guys were, or Hey, I know somebody who wants to talk to someone who's using this company and they'll be the head person of fraud at this very large company. Go, I've never heard of them before. I don't think we use them. You know, logos on there. And then they go looking and they're like, oh, I guess we bought something like five years ago and 20% of their volume goes through it. Or we just did a POC on with them and very much decided not to work with them ever again. But we're on their website or we just had a conversation with them. I mean, it's bananas. So I'm glad that you noticed like, wait, how can you all work with the same merchant? Maybe they each have 10% or maybe that merchant has this channel or that channel, but like they all, I think they're all claiming, no, we're their primary person. Yeah. And I don't, I want to take a step back and say, I'm not merchant ba- or I'm not uh, provider bashing. bashing because no. I, I was on that side and think there are some very well-intentioned people that, that are selling these solutions. And when I put up, 
when I changed my job title mm-hmm. back in November, my LinkedIn inbox just exploded. And the SDRs and BDs and AEs and XYZs and everything started flooding in there, wanting to tell me how they work with someone at my company, but they can't name who, and they have this great solution. And some of it was personalized, some of it was not. And I had some just some really negative experiences. And I'm not going to go and name names or anything. But after one particular, I reached out to someone I knew who said, because a lot of it is really young people Mm. that are just out of college with not a whole lot of experience wanting to sell me their fraud solution. And I'm like, you don't know know anything about fraud because you don't know anything about the computer. Only done this for three months. Yeah. And someone that I know in sales told me, essentially give them a little grace. It's not always them. A lot of it is the people above them pushing them to be creative and Mm. do you need to do in order to get them to someone else that can sell them. So I see that. I initially was engaging with all of them because I was in that. I was on that side. I wanted to talk to people and understand like, why can't we sell this? Or what's your problem that we can't solve? What is the issue? Yeah. I want to learn from you. What's your problems? Right. And I just doing that at first and I've had to scale that back a lot because especially around MRC, it's overwhelming. And they give you that option to like hide yourself <laughs> in a checkbox to not release. And I was like, oh no, I'll release my email. And not that I don't want to talk to vendors, but There's you could target it a little better. There's yes. a lot of noise. I don't need a chargeback solution. No one's putting a $50,000 car on their Amex. If vendors, my advice to vendors. Yeah. Know the company that you are reaching out to. Mm. Understand what they do. And if you understand what they do, you will probably have a little bit better understanding of what their business problems are, their fraud problems are. And then you can target your message to them. I'm just... It's overwhelming. I've been overwhelmed with it. Absolutely. When you are a buyer, you are someone who genuinely, one of the reasons why you're going to MRC, one of the reasons why you've been engaging on LinkedIn is to understand who's out there and who do I need Mm -hmm. to talk to? The problem is it's so much noise. They're all contributing to this problem. They don't understand that like this is not even... 2% 2% of your job is to reply back. And, you know, as a human, yes, you want to reply back, but then it's, wait, this is obviously an automated email. You didn't put any effort into it. Why do I need to? Um, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I think that like, what? no, whatever. And then, you know, you start getting the passive aggressive, which are often on auto. So if they don't reply in three days, send this one. Thoughts? Like, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> just putting this on top. Perhaps you didn't see the first one. It gets more passive aggressive as it goes along. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think, and I do very much, I think both of us, we empathize with vendors. I, in a way, am a vendor. And I mean, that's like a whole other story. But, and I work with vendors. One of the reasons why I work with select vendors is to help them learn how to stand out and be different because the other challenges that a lot of them all sound the same. A lot of them, whether they're in the same category or not, I have had like newer companies who have never selected fraud technology before say, well, we've narrowed it down to three companies and they're all three completely different. And then they say, Mm -hmm. but they're all the same. So I don't really see the point. I'm like, one of them has a chargeback guarantee. So their pricing is different. One of them doesn't. One of them is rules-based and you will need to have someone on your end managing those rules and taking care of them. Do you have someone on in your side that can do that, you know, on a very regular basis or do manual review? And then the other one is real-time machine learning. But even that is a phrase that way too many companies use that they shouldn't because there's no, I can get very fired up, obviously, but there's no. Tell me about your supervised and unsupervised machine learning, (laughs) Carice. Well, it's best in class machine learning. Best in class, cutting edge. They all are, yes. (laughs) 
And I wish that they didn't turn into jokes, but there's a reason for it. When everybody says that they're the same thing, then you start thinking, well, I guess it doesn't matter who I pick because everybody's doing the same. Or I guess it doesn't matter because none of them are standing out or they're not being different. And then you talk to people that use them and it's, oh my gosh, that's not at all the reality of what they're telling me. You're telling me they don't all reduce your chargebacks by 40%? Oh, I, I think I told you, right? You know, <laughs> oh, I, it's weird because like a couple of years ago, it was by 65 to 80% without even looking ah. at your chargeback report and knowing yeah. if you even have chargebacks, let alone if there's any wiggle room. You know that I did a presentation for a sales kickoff for a solution provider that I think in some years they have not done themselves good favors in, in sales areas and they don't understand. They just didn't, you don't know what you don't know. But in other areas, their customers love them and the product is good. So they asked me to come in and talk to their salespeople. And I did this whole thing around how to lose a prospect in 10 ways. And one of them was, don't give me any percentages before you looked at anything. Because if I can't trust you to do that, how can I trust you with all my transactions? Sardine is now sponsoring Fraudology. And one of the reasons I've been so impressed by Sardine is their founder, Soups Ranjan. You'll hear my full conversation with him in the next few weeks, and you'll get to hear about some of his experiences and his passion for fraud fighting for yourself. But the TLDR, or the high-level summary, is that he started out as a fraud fighter with an engineering and data science background, and he was tasked with quickly identifying a fraud solution for one of the fastest-growing companies in the relatively new and high-risk crypto industry almost a decade ago. But after learning about the available options for online fraud detection, he became frustrated with the existing tools on the market. And as fellow fraud fighters, I think a lot of us know exactly the kind of tools he was frustrated with. The legacy fraud tools that just return a score or a signal or a yes, no, maybe without your team getting to understand all of the aggregated data or the value attributed to each data point that goes into calculating that score or the vendor who won't give you your company's data for your own models. And their own user interface was probably an afterthought. And let's be honest, Soup wasn't the only one who's been frustrated by the status quo in fraud technology. But not all of us are able to rage quit our jobs, recruit a few of the smartest risk engineers we've ever known, and go build a fraud platform that is truly built by the fraud squad for the fraud squad. A platform for KYC, AML, and payment risk all in one product that lets the client company decide how to best use the massive amounts of data that's available to them. That's pretty much exactly what Soups did a few years ago. And the result of those efforts has become one of the fastest growing solution providers in fraud that I've seen in many years. And that company is Sardine. To learn more about Sardine or to book a personalized demo, you can go to www.sardine.ai or just click the link at the top of the description for today's episode. And so back to, I mean, this could obviously be like a five-part episode, but back to like just a couple of the things that I also know from Mark Shocks that you have had. I mean, I think you could write a really fascinating, maybe not book, but like ebook on just providing some of the crazy, insane interactions you've had with people where you set up time. And I will just say like you and other people, a couple of the examples that come off of my head. So that way you're not saying anything and I'm mixing it in with other things other it people wasn't have said. Me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One that comes to mind is a company who has done this to more than one one buyer or prospective buyer is they have on their website, 15 minute consultation and demos. Okay. 
I'll click on it. I'll book a 15 minute demo. As soon as you book it, they then change it on your calendar to 45 minutes. That never happens. I wish I was making it up or call it if you, heaven forbid, you don't reply to someone in a day or two, they'll go into your corporate directory and try to find the highest person they can and say, this person isn't doing you any services because they're not, you know, those types of things or throwing under the bus or just even vendors that spend so much money on trying to get merchants or buyers, whether it's fintech or marketplace or banks, getting just a little bit of their time to show them their product. And then... The person who gets on the call is taking another phone call or they're not paying attention or they don't know the product. I actually, I mean, as much as there are some SDRs that I really, and I think sales development representatives for anyone that doesn't know that term, those are often the first people who reach out to merchants. I actually think that there are some companies that have those roles and they are not like a typical SDR. They, you wouldn't Mm -hmm. know it, right? Because they understand the industry. They get it. They want to learn. They want to, you know, they have the luxury of time. They don't have someone breathing down their neck to say, how many emails did you write yesterday? How many did you call? Those people are great. But there are some organizations that I would actually just say, don't even have that position because everyone who's representing your company is representing your company. And, you know, if they're having their boss breathe down their neck that they have to get an appointment made, they're not going to slow down and get to know you or they're, and they're going to be coming across as pushy and they're scared. They don't want to lose their job. It starts you off on the wrong foot, right? Like it's sometimes it's better to have more organic conversations and have people that understand it. But because SDRs are kind of a new thing to this industry in the last several years. But like you go to a restaurant and you have really crappy service, even if the food's really good, you're not going to say, oh, my server Bob was really bad at XYZ restaurant. You're going to say I had a crappy experience at that restaurant. Or the restaurant. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And even if it might take five of your friends to say, actually, we went there after then and it wasn't bad. And then maybe you'll give them a chance. But what are the odds? You get the same server or someone else. Because you assume their manager has to know how they are or, you know, someone has to know. And I don't have time. To meet, to go back 10 times and have 10 different servers and then decide if I like the restaurant or not. Like, exactly. Like, and if I reach out to an SDR's manager, what are they going to do? <laughs> they, just, mm-hmm. they might be just as bad or worse. They're not all bad. Right. I, no. I, I talked to a lot of good people. Makes the good a, people uh, stand out. Yeah, it does. It does. But I think it can also jade us in that if someone is genuine, and their outreach, there's a whole thing on this. Do I follow them on LinkedIn? Do I put mm-hmm. creative comments on their posts and then reach out to them? Or do you cold call them? That's a whole other conversation. Yep. A when lot someone of does in, finally in reach training, out. I, yeah, I created yeah. it. It's a lot of that. It's a lot of, yeah, there's the active, there's the inactive. But then there's also like, at the end of the day, understanding what the person's problem is, is not going to be the same as the last person you talked to. I think that's a huge mistake, like you said, right? Just assuming that, okay, 10 out of the 20 people that I talked to all have chargeback issues and we've been able to solve 40%. So I'm just going to tell everyone to do 40%. Well, that may not be your problem, right? So taking a minute and thinking, okay, what industry are they in? Are there anomalies in this industry? Ticketing, I say it all the time. There is a giant difference between primary and secondary ticketing and event ticketing. And one is a secondary marketplace and the other It's their own inventory and there's so many different nuances to that. So having a sales rep say, we work with so-and-so, well, that may not matter to me. And the fact that you thought that was the same thing, like probably tells me that you don't understand my business or for you, right? Having chargeback vendors reach out to you left and right. You're like, did you take a minute? So I think that's a good advice, like just taking a minute and thinking, what are their true problems? And I'm reaching out to them about something that they, because 
we don't want to waste their, they shouldn't be wanting to waste their time either. And then also being good at explaining what you do and where it goes. I think I said this in last Thursday's episode too, to vendors for MRC. Like, I don't know how many times people will walk through the booth, the, the expo hall and look at me and go, they all said the same thing, even though they are all different. They all will yeah. reduce our chargebacks and they'll increase our approval rate. Okay, that's different. But how do you do it? What do you do it? Are you doing it this way, that way? What makes you different? And why do I need you? Just focus on those things. Don't assume that we have 30 minutes to try. I mean, good Lord, I could tell that. Yeah, there was a company that tried so hard to get my attention. I know, right? Carissa's right. You're like, no wonder you do a solo episode on Thursdays. Carissa, this is not it. No, there, there was a vendor who tried very hard to get on my calendar and really wanted to show me their product. And I have to limit those. And often I actually will charge for them because I give in real time. I'm like, oh, this is the use case. And this is the use case I would go after. These are the types of companies I'd go after for this and not worry about these ones. Or, you know, I want to talk it out while I'm learning about a new product. This one, I was like, okay, I'll get on with you. And at the last minute, their CEO or someone really high up joined. I'm telling you, I think they booked it for half an hour. It, we got to an hour and I still didn't know what the hell they did. This CEO could talk. And I said, well, who's your biggest competitor? Visa. I'm like, what? Are you a card brand? <laughs> what? I'm like, I was so confused. I'm like, why? Because we have as much data as that. Okay, what do you do with that data? Like, I think I'm pretty good at fraud technology. And I still to this day cannot tell you what this company does. Oh, and at an hour, I was like, <laughs> yeah, like. And they wasted an hour of their time. So like, we're trying to help. It's not vendor bashing. If it's like, guys, we're giving you free advice for the most part. Like, Just listen to us, right? Uh, oh my gosh. Listen and respect boundaries, right? If somebody says, hey, it's Q4. This is my biggest time of the year. I can't talk to you right now, but come back in Q2 because I might want to listen. That means you have an opportunity in Q2 because no, nobody's going to tell you come back if they don't actually want to know what you do. But if you burn that bridge and you keep calling them or you reach out to their boss, like now they don't want to. Respect the boundary. It's not a game. And I think in other parts of tech, and this is a whole other thing too, like in other parts of technology, these types of games work very well. Oh, they're probably playing hardball. Oh, they're probably trying to negotiate with me. No, fraud yeah. people generally know what they say, what they mean, and they mean what they say. I do. I certainly yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to talk to you. I'm not going to respond. Right. I say come back later. And some people respect that. Some people really do. There's always the one that sneaks through. And would you say that the, that you notice more the people who respect that boundary or that listen to you oh, and absolutely. hear what you say? Absolutely. Yeah. If someone respects like, you know, just I know you have a lot of work to do. I know you're busy. I'm just going to put this here. Let me yeah. know when you can talk. Yeah, absolutely. Get to know who I am and what I do. And, you know, everyone's different, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone yeah. has a Everyone wants to be sold to differently. Some people want to be wine and dine. Some people just want to tell me what the solution is. Yeah. And yeah, I think there's really kind of three types of buyers. And we talked about this a little bit, but... Um, this is the analogy I love. Before, yes. before we go into this, so you've mentioned a couple of times previously that there are some crazies that listen to fraudology while training for a marathon. And I'll <laughs> go ahead and out myself as one of those. I do not um, understand why anyone listens to my voice and runs. It sounds like double torture to me. No, it's uh, it's great. I do it a lot. I'll take a block an hour from on my calendar and get away, clear my head. I'm also learning something, right? So it's not just I'm blowing off work to blow off work. It's research. Because I mean, a lot of what we have to do, honestly, I'm not just <laughs> BSing here. A lot of what we need to do as fraud managers and fraud strategy and fraud technology is to understand the industry 
And it's not just your podcast to listen to. You know, I listen to Darknet Diaries and I'll listen to Queen of the Con or other things that get you thinking different ways about how people Mm -hmm. defraud others, whether it's cybercrime or payment fraud or AML or whatever. I like to do that. So I'm one of the crazies. Being that we were talking about marathons and, and running. I compare this to like shoe buyers. So you got three different types of people that buy shoes. And I'll call the first one, the last minute buyer. And whether that's, let's say I I came to you a month ago and said, hey, Carice, let's run a 5K. You would have said to me, what? No way in hell am I doing that, right? <laughs> I but haven't trained, say, right. <laughs> but let's say you had said yes. Oh, yeah, I'll do that. And I went and signed both of us up. And I call you the night before and said, hey, when are we meeting up for this? And you say, oh, no. <laughs> I don't have running shoes. Mm-hmm. So the last minute I'm buyer runs like me. <laughs> <laughs> so the last minute buyer is just going to run to their closest sporting goods store, shoe store, and they're going to say, "What do you have in a size 10? And they're just going to take whatever they can get, whatever is available that's going to work. I'm going to go out and I'm going to use it. And that's kind of like when a merchant comes to a provider with a dire problem, mm. right? If you're getting slammed with ATO or credential stuffing or bots, payment fraud, and, and you have nothing in place, you're going to go to your processor or you're going to go wherever, whoever will listen to you and say, what can you put in place now to stop this problem? And because of that, the likelihood of you ending up with the right solution Mm. is probably low. Yeah. It might work for you now. It might solve that one problem, but maybe it doesn't address others or the trend shifts. And now you're stuck in a three-year contract with those shoes (laughs) or that vendor for something you don't need. They probably put in monthly minimums because (laughs) yeah, I need it. Just I'll sign whatever. Maybe you got monthly minimums. You've got a, a high per transaction rate that you're paying. And you're stuck with that. And you didn't talk to anyone else. So you don't even know that's high or that's not okay. Or you didn't hire a consultant who's seen (laughs) all of it (laughs) and knows where the money is. I mean, just, you know, throwing it out that like, maybe not even trying to like advertise yourself just in general. I often am like, Gosh, if you just would have known, yes, I know exactly where that company puts this fee and that fee in it. Because back to your analogy, this shoe salesman knows that person's in dire need too. Right. And you might get halfway through your race and your feet feel fine and then they start bleeding or you get blisters, right? They're not going to work for you long term. And the odds that a a solution that you purchased last minute with no idea what was going on is going to work for you long term is very low. So the second type of buyer is what I would call the standard buyer. You're going to go, I need to buy new shoes. I am going to go to my running store. They're going to put me on a thing and they're going to 3D model my feet and say, I've got the perfect shoe for you. And they're going to bring out the same three shoes they give to everyone else. Mm. The New Balance 880, the Brooks Ghost, and the Saucony Triumph. 90%. I've been to several different shoe stores and they all do this and they say, yes, this is the one for you. I hate all of them. (laughs) Uh, And on the buyer side, this is like the Gartner Magic Quadrant. Right. You go to your sourcing guy or you go to your consultant or whoever, and they pull up their thing and they say, here's these three vendors that solve your problem. And you might do a demo with them. You might try those shoes on and walk around the store a little bit, but you're making your decision based off of very limited information. You don't have a whole lot of testing of research into what's really good and if this will really solve your problem or if it will solve the problems that you'll have in the future. Yeah. And because you only do this every couple of years, you're stuck with that, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe I run the first hundred miles and they're fine. And then after that, they kind of just go flat and they're uncomfortable, but 
I don't have the budget to buy new shoes and I don't have the understanding of what I would even buy. And so I'm just stuck with that. Or what else there is in the market. And to your point, like on that one, this is one of my biggest pet peeves and why, I mean, I actually, when I started consulting, my biggest thing was don't be like, and then I'll just put a blank space there. But there was someone else who had their own consultancy that we always kind of became the joke, right? They're either going to recommend them to this company or that company. And even if we didn't even understand, like, how, why would you think that company would work? That Yeah, it worked for another company, but it won't work for them. Like, Prada is not size one size fits all. It turned out that those were the two companies that provided the best kickbacks for consultants, the best referrals. Imagine that. I didn't know what a referral fee. I mean, just like your inbox blew up when you turned a merchant. When I went from working for the Merchant Risk Council and everyone knew who I knew and who I had relationships with. And then I said I was a consultant. My inbox blew up with, oh, we need to talk about a referral agreement, a referral agreement. And I didn't even know what that meant. And then I'm hearing things like 10% off the top for a year or perpetuity here or this or that. And I'm like, wait a second. And I thought, that's why that person would always do it that way or that way. But then now it you know. doesn't make sense, right? Like my grandfather used to say, like, you can't ride two horses with one ass. And who's paying me? <laughs> the merchant to tell them what's best for them or the vendor to pick them? Like to me that I joke that at least one vendor has said that I will die proud but poor. I was like, I will never be like that because that's not what's right for the person and you or for the company. And you know that they're not going to be able to pick another solution for the next three, four years at least. And that they're once they solve these problems... You should be able to know what the next problems are because you've seen it. Because I've worked with so many big companies. I know exactly. Yeah. Okay, we plug these holes. I know exactly what's, what's going next and next. Up. Absolutely. And then, hey, these guys are seeing this now and you're not yet, but you're going to see it in two years. That's what you should be thinking about. And that's why the a, your analogy of just bringing three shoes out drives me crazy because it is so true. And you can use those shoes and, to chase those toddlers around the couch. Yeah, but you can't, but you can't go long distance, sure, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's I think it's such a brilliant analogy. All all three of your different buyers are brilliant because it's so true. And whether it's a particular consultancy and their magic quadrants or whether it is, you know, oh, don't get me started on awards at conferences or publications or things like that, because oftentimes kind of rigged in different ways, you know, where they're pay to play like the you're making the wrong decision and it's not the right solution for you. But it's good for both vendors and buyers to kind of think about that. So what's the third buyer? And then I'd love for you to share which one you are. So well, I will not say obvious. that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I am the third type of shoe buyer. I don't know if I'm the third type of fraud service provider buyer, but I'm not really sure what to call this one. <laughs> so maybe I'll call this one the OCD buyer. So <laughs> when I started running, so I went several years without running. And about a year ago, my doctor suggested an Apple watch mm. and after about a week, it kept telling me like, just a brisk 37 minute walk, you can close your rings. Okay. And about a week of that, I was like, all right, I'm done. I sit 20 feet away from a treadmill. So I started walking and then mm. started trying to run and it wasn't going well. Yeah, I, I had some old tennis shoes or sneakers. I don't know what you call them out west there. Yeah. But yeah, you, uh, yeah, actually, usually tennis shoes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I went on a run in these tennis shoes that were not really running shoes and they gave me a massive blister. And mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, this isn't going to work. I have wide feet. I have a tall foot, which is odd. So it's hard finding shoes in stock anywhere. Oh, so right. you know, get online. <laughs> and if anyone from one of the big <laughs> online shoe retailers hears this, please, I'm not wardrobing or return frauded you. I swear. <laughs> I think a lot but of them I, do. I bought five pairs of shoes. None of them work. So I sent them back, bought five more pair. 
not homework, send them back. Well, 10 more pair. I went through over 50 pairs of shoes until I found something that I could comfortably run in for more than a mile. Mm. And Mm -hmm. once I found those shoes, like I still thought, okay, these are good for short distance. I want something else for long distance. Mm. I want something more cushioned, (laughs) this and that. Oh my gosh, you are just like my husband. They swear. I'm like, how many shoes and how many coats do you need? Well, I need one for this, one for that. (laughs) Different coats for different types of rain, you know, different. Oh my goodness. And I I understand it's true. It's just. So, I mean, I I ended up with about a dozen pairs of running shoes. And I'm constantly like evaluating and reevaluating. Like, Mm. be better. You know, I am heavier than the typical runner. If you saw me, you would not think this guy is running a marathon. So like shoes generally last a lot longer for someone with a runner's body. So they wear out a little bit faster. So I either have to like stock up or try to find something Mm. that will last longer. Anyway, taking that to fraud, (laughs) fraud technology, I'm like this, but not as simple as just give me 50 solutions and I'm going to try them all out. I can't just sign up. Yeah. And, and use them all. No, that. So that's why they just can claim anything because they know that you're probably not going to be actually using it for longer than a month or using the technology at all until you've signed the contract. And to be fair to them, that doesn't mean that there are, I mean, I think there are some salespeople that understand that their products will not work for those types of companies or are not the best. But I think that most of them, because there are a lot of them are not from the industry, they genuinely believe that their product is the best. And so they're not trying to bait and switch you, but they're going to say whatever they can to make you choose them because you're not able to try them on and run them around for a mile or two, to your point, or even for a week or two. The first thing I do when someone reaches out to me on LinkedIn or via email that's in sales is go look at their profile and see how long have you been with that company and Mm -hmm. where did you work before? So if you have zero fraud experience and you started in January at this fraud company and you're telling me how great your fraud company is, I know instantly that you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Because you cannot come up to speed on a fraud solution. Any, you cannot come up to speed in a new industry that quickly, right? Well, I so, would say even in, yeah, I mean, even in a year, but even <laughs> at least in a year, a, yeah, that doesn't mean that people can't sell if they have a little. It's just that it's also the approach that they take. If mm-hmm. someone said, Hey, my company is the best and we pr- we do this, this and this versus someone saying, I'm new to the industry, but something interesting I've found about our tool is that we do this way. And from what I understand from the other ones, they don't do it that way. Like then you're at least showing that you're not overconfident for no reason. You're you're showing that you've at least given it some critical thought and you've tried and yeah. you're being honest and saying like, but if you've seen something different, I'd love to know about it genuinely. Yeah, there are yeah. very few salespeople that reach out to me. It's happened once or twice, maybe three or four times in the last five years who will be like, hey, I'm thinking about going to this company. What do merchants say about it? What do our customers say about it? What does the industry say about this company? And depending on the situation and depending on how well I know them and all of that, to be honest, to, to depending on how much I will give. but. I think that shows something, right? Or at least, and at least saying, hey, I don't know a lot about it, this industry, but I have learned this. It shows that you're actually trying and you care and just not that you're following a script too. So it's a great point. Yeah. So it, I would just say, if you are new to the fraud industry and in sales and you're coming at an OCD buyer like myself, mm-hmm. 
just beware to be asked a lot of questions. And I'm not appropriate here. I actually have been diagnosed with OCD, so I can call myself an OCD buyer. So what I think is really cool within the fraud technology industry is the move towards orchestration. And there's a lot of companies that do this in very different ways, whether they sit on your network and orchestrate it out or they have you integrate through a single API and orchestrate it out. These types of companies really allow you to be an OCD buyer in a sense, right? Because we're not at a point yet where the end service provider is allowing you to just pay a la carte. I you know, am hoping this, that we're getting there, but yeah, <laughs> I, would love I don't that, know if they'd right? like it though. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, your your internal security is always going to have to do a review because a lot of the stuff you're sending is PII. So it's not right. like I can just right. turn it on turn and on shoot on. out the technology the different... exists. <laughs> right. To your point, the technology exists to be able to turn it off and turn it on. It's the practicality of it uh, going through those pieces and if those solution providers do it. And what I hope from all orchestration, especially, is that it democratizes our industry and actually requires some of these companies who will openly admit in some in private conversations. So I don't know if that's openly, but they will admit it that their main business model is to get someone on and keep them on as long as possible knowing that they aren't the best solution. And to me, very few things anger me more than basically saying, yep, we know it's garbage. We know it was good five, 10 years ago. It's not anymore. We haven't tried to make it better. We're just hoping to keep people trapped and make it so hard to take our technology off that they don't. Well, if there's something where you're able to switch very quickly and can not have to have exclusivity everywhere, then hopefully it'll make everyone want to step up their game more. Yeah. Yeah, as the I, as I mentioned, I've been talking to a lot of identity providers, and a lot of them offer that. Mm. Not just the one; it's not just those companies that are focused on orchestration. I think it's mm. becoming more mainstream of bring your own provider. You know, we offer this yeah. core service and bring these other things with you, especially for uh, KYC, right? Yeah, yeah, for the identity yeah. piece, I think that's a good step in the right direction. I do know how we do this, but it was so easy. I, I don't even know if I asked you more than two questions. But actually, one thing I'm going to say on the analogy part that I was thinking of when you are using that, you know, about the running shoes and everything, we could actually really build this out. It could be the next fraud and zombies, Andrew. It Not could that- be. Not that everyone would love, but technology that It takes a little bit longer to say the the zombies. Yeah, but the thing is, but it's applicable in so many ways and you can think about, oh yeah, this applies, this applies. I was also thinking about the fact you can call up your buddy who's a runner and say, hey, what shoe works for you? But it's not going to work the same for you as it works for him. And while it is very good to talk to users of those companies, when you, once you've narrowed down, the couple that, okay, I think these are the ones right for me. And then talking to them because, you know, you'll find some people love them and some people don't. And what you really have to find out is how's their customer service and how's their technology, right? Maybe it's going to, because my business is different than yours, it might work better for me. Those kind of things, the use cases might be different, et cetera. But if you're just walking around too, and I, I see this happen a lot, and especially at conferences. So that's why it popped in my head. Who does everyone else use for this? Oh, okay. I'll go talk to them. Well, just because it works even for your biggest competitor, even for the one company, you don't know if they did a full RFP. You don't know if they just ran in the night before and did it. You don't know if it actually works or if they know what they're doing. And you don't know if the systems are the same, if the technology, all of those things are different. So while it is important to ask users, how are they when you have an issue? Do you have issues a lot? How, how do they address this or whatever? That's important. But just asking for name suggestions and just, okay, I'll just go do that because I think, you know, because that's easy. The biggest misconception ever in our industry is that they're all the same. Unfortunately, they all sound the same. 
back to full circle at the beginning. So it's really hard to see like what's different. Yeah, I think your point about making sure that when you talk to people, their use cases are similar. Like, yes, it's tough because I cannot call up my direct competitors and say, who do you use? How do you use them? Right. Trust me, I've I've tried and they don't (laughs) want to talk to me. (laughs) But, you know, when three or four, when three or four or six vendors, and I I don't know if this has happened to you, actually, but I know it's happened to several others where, and you mentioned that you noticed that three vendors, you know, all said the same company use them. I don't know if it's in the same area of yours, but I know a few people that are like, you have my competitor at the very top of your deck. That's very interesting. And you're the third company to say that my competitor exclusively uses you. Now I don't believe any of you. And who knows if it's true? And if your competitor won't answer, that's a whole other thing about collaboration. But yeah, so you're right, though. It's important to, you can't, you know, you may not be able to call your biggest competitor, but you can figure out like, are our use cases similar? And we may not even be in the same, you know, might be completely different. Sometimes it is. Sometimes. Yeah sneakers and event and concert tickets actually have more in common with each other than most things. There's just random things like that. So we should probably wrap up, right? MRC is right around the corner. (laughs) I know, right? We've got, yeah, just a couple of days till uh, we get going and uh, we could easily talk till then. But yeah, and it is hard because there are so many things that we want, especially on this topic. We know that everyone's trying to do their best at their job, but that's why we want to give advice. And that's why we provide these things and why I certainly talk about it oftentimes on behalf of people, but why I'm grateful that you provided your time today and on Tuesday too, because yeah. I think it's important to hear from other people and to understand, oh, I can't expect someone to drop everything and give me an hour to show them a demo. Or if I'm going to get even 30 minutes of their time, I need to make sure that I am maximizing it because that might be the only, you know, you look at it like dating, right? How do you expect to get a second date if the first date, all you did was talk about yourself and it wasn't even anything that the person cared about. And me being the OCD buyer of shoes and of of (laughs) technologies, I would love to just spend, right. I might go crazy if I did that, but uh-huh. I would love to Depends spend the, the next month <laughs> learning about every solution out there, but that's just not feasible. Like you mentioned, I've, I have a job to do. I can't respond to everything that comes across my inbox. Yeah. And understanding not taking that personally. And also that's one of the many reasons why the companies I work with, I'm like, stick to the companies that you are going to knock out of the park. Stick to those ones that you know you're going to do the best at so that you're not wasting anyone else's time. And then when you get those out, that you get those under your belt, then go to the next. You don't need to, you, it's impossible to be everything to everyone. That's something I continually try to learn over the last like 25 years of my existence. But Especially be all things to all men. Yeah. Yeah. Or just people in general. But yeah, you can't. Yeah. You can't be everything to everyone. And that's very true for fraud technology. So I hope that was helpful for people. I sure enjoy talking to you. I thought analogy is really a good one because like I said, we could build it out with so many other things. And well, maybe I'll get to build it out at MRC next week. We'll there see. You, right. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can only pre- try to prepare you for so much. But gosh, by the time people get to the sometimes merchants get to the expo hall and they're like, I'm so tired of getting sold to from my inbox. I don't even want to lock. I do not need a new pen or a new mug that much. <laughs> <Just> like it's, <laughs> it's hard. But I am looking forward to meeting you officially in person yes. in just a few same days here. and yep. same to everyone else who is coming and to people who aren't. I really wish you were. And I hope that one day there is an event where everyone can come. Yes, lots of people want a fraudology conference. That is a TBD for probably a year or two. But in the meantime, I will 
keep up with Fraudology, including next week, there will be new episodes. And I will look forward to talking with you all soon. Andrew, thank you again for stopping by both times this week. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks so much. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.